So what promises remain for the Jewish people? God made many promises in the Old Testament, but to whom do they apply today? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Jewish Thursday. Welcome to the line of fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Any Jewish related question of any kind, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. And as always, although we virtually never get takers, as always, the critics are welcomed to call in. Those that want to bash Israel and the Jewish people, tell us why. We'll have a civil conversation. 866-34-TRUTH. I do want to look at the scriptures with you, some fascinating insights we want to give you from the Word of God. We want to catch up on what's happening in the world of Israel today. Major news, potentially, with the tanker that was torpedoed in the Middle East. Was Iran behind it? What does it mean? If so, what does Iran have to gain from doing it? How does this tie in with Israel's security, etc.? All questions to address, but first... I want to introduce you to a special guest. Dr. Anthony Harper is the principal White House journalist regarding Israel and U.N. issues. You may remember when President Trump decided to defund the U.N. uh, RWA UNRWA, which really in so many ways supports terrorism and works against Israel. It was Dr. Harper's question that led to President Trump's defunding this U.N. organization. So I want to get to know Dr. Harper, want to find out what he's doing, get some insights from him. And then as there are newsworthy items that come up, we'll get him back on to discuss things. Uh, Dr. Harper, thanks for joining us today on The Line of Fire. Well, thank you for letting me join you, Dr. Brown. Uh, I just want to give credit to the God of Israel that... uh, Help arrange for me to ask those important questions about UNRWA and uh, uh, sitting in someone else's uh, journalist seat. Uh, I, I had courage to, God gave me courage to sit in the journalist seat and that uh, was uh, empty. And uh, this uh, this happened, you know, getting attention to this UNRWA issue went viral in Jerusalem. Yeah, amazing. So explain to us what exactly is the principal White House journalist regarding Israel and U.N. Who are you? Who do you work for? How do you get in the White House? What is this? Oh, yeah. Well, that, that seems to be the, the, the main thing that's been happening for me. Um, and that I, I actually work for the—I'm the editor of the Intermountain Christian Newspaper, and we're part of the Christian Newspaper Association. About mm-hmm. uh, estimated 10 million readers of Christian newspapers, and I'm the principal reporter here representing the Christian Newspaper Association. Uh, and uh, in, in that— uh, in the role of regarding Israel and UN matters, I do serve as the principal investigative journalist on this issue here. Uh, and I've met with Israel leaders. I've met with the Israel Prime Minister, actually, uh, about these questions about UNRWA. And uh, so it's, it's been some unique experiences here. I had a follow-up question with General Kelly about UNRWA that happened in October of last year. And and just so shortly after that, that's when President Trump was talking about defunding it, 
uh, of course, Kalian, uh, not Kalian, but uh, Ambassador Haley started talking about the UNRWA issue, and it got a lot of momentum since that first question, uh, the first week of Trump administration. All right, so why is it, in your view, that the U.N., after voting to recognize the state of Israel in 1947, why is it that the, the U.N. has been so consistently anti-Israel, be it the General Assembly, be it the Security Council, be it a suborganization like UNRWA? What do you think is causing it? Is it just something spiritual? Are there political reasons for this as well? The bias can't be denied. There are whole websites like unwatch.org that document this. I've documented it years ago and then again in a new edition of my book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood. But as a mm-hmm. Washington insider, why would you say that the U.N. has been consistently so biased in, in a very unevenly handed way against Israel? Well, I think that the reason that it's growing here is that it fits Bible prophecy, uh, that, you know, the, the hate towards Jews would would be uh, very apparent. And I, I do believe it's a spiritual issue uh, of uh, extreme hate. Maybe, uh, you know, back in 1948, you know, the Arab nations were hoping that this would kind of blow over and that, uh, that they would be able to return or something. But uh, over time, that wasn't realized. It's just, I think it's just a growing hatred uh, because... This is uh, Israel as is a nation, and it hasn't, hasn't uh, given away the land that they were hoping they would give away, although uh, Israel has uh, compromised and retreating from Gaza and West Bank and, and Jericho and Bethlehem. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's not good enough for Iran uh, to just uh, irritate uh, Israel, but they want Israel to leave. Uh, and I just think it's... it's Overall, it's a spiritual issue, but uh, all in to fulfill some Bible prophecies here. But um, interesting to be here in the middle of all this at the White House. And, um, you know, we don't have too many Christian media here in the first place. Interesting. So when you hear accusations from certain congressmen now and the age-old accusation for decades now that Israel is somehow controlling America— that American interests are subservient to APAC and other Israeli interests, that Zionists or Jews are really controlling the White House. When you hear those types of accusations, what, what do you make of them? How much of this is just the typical anti-Semitic rhetoric? Is it a small truth being exaggerated? Is it just a spirit of deception? What do you make of this? Well, uh, all those, uh, Dr. Brown, there is a spirit of deception. Uh, and and this is... This... It's not anything new, you know, when you think about it during the time of Hitler, you know. Uh, a lot of people were, were thinking then you know, that the Jews were in control of everything, and that's totally illogical. Uh, you know, if the Jews were in control of everything, then uh, they wouldn't be having these problems uh, with uh, Iran. Uh, they wouldn't be having the problems with Hamas. Um, you know, there's a, it's a real spiritual problem. Uh, this hatred, uh, as I said, is really to fulfill some prophecies here, but I wanted to make everyone aware if they haven't heard that, that warning in Joel chapter 3, verse 2, where it says, God enters into judgment the nations that divide up his land, and in, in, in this valley of Jehoshaphat. I'm here at the White House to bring up this scripture, Joel 3, 2, or also Second Chronicles 7, 14, wherein lie the solution to terrorism. Now, now what, if, what if someone would say, all right, I know the Bible says, Joel 3 and other places, that Israel is God's land. 
But when we elect a president, when we elect people to Congress, they are simply serving in terms of the best interest of the American people. Some of us believe the Bible, some of us don't. And they can't be making decisions based on Bible prophecy. They have to be making decisions pragmatically. What's the best uh, solution for America in terms of the Middle East? How does this work out best in our interest in the world? So uh, obviously I agree with you in terms of God's purposes for Israel. But if, if someone says, can you make a political case? Can you make a pragmatic case for supporting Israel? Or is it just prophecy to you? What would you say? Oh, there is a pragmatic uh, case, Dr. Brown, in, in that uh, Israel is uh, the only democracy in the, in the Middle East. Uh, we, are, we are there. We have a, a vested interest in this. Uh, Israel is a partner with us in the, regarding our common enemy, Iran. Um, and interesting that Saudi Arabia uh, looks to Israel for, for help as well because of the common enemy of Iran. Uh, so the, the, it's very clear that we have a political interest in, in this, uh, and uh, I, I understand that we also have a shared Air Force base in Israel. Right. So to you, it's not just this is prophetic, it's also pragmatic. And then last last question, and as I just wanted to introduce you to our listeners and viewers today, and we'll call on you at, at key times when things are going on. But what do you know of the so-called deal of the century? Do you have any information in terms of where the Trump administration wants to go in terms of a proposed peace plan for the Middle East? Well, yes. Uh, what, I, what, what I understand is that the deal of the century is the first part, and there's been a many news, news reports about that this being an economic, uh, an economic uh, issue uh, right. in Bahrain to be released. And, you know, uh, which... Uh, makes it very, very interesting. Uh, I've been with the Temple Institute and the Sanhedrin, and they, they want this economic plan to incorporate, uh, <laughs> incorporate increased pilgrimage to Jerusalem, like infrastructure in Israel with railways and uh, airports, uh, restructuring of Jerusalem uh, to have a, a more prominent uh, pilgrimage and easy access into Jerusalem. Um, uh, very interesting being there in April uh, with the Temple Institute, the Sanhedrin. Uh, I was on the board of, Ga- uh, of Gaza and in the Golan Heights. Um, and there's there's been there's so much emotion surrounding these issues, and uh, we're living in very challenging times, uh, Dr. Brown. And uh, a lot of people are really uh, eager to hear more about this plan. You know, I'm I'm concerned, and I think many other uh, Christians are concerned too. That uh, any attempt to to have a peace plan or whatever without the Messiah, right? Uh, how far is it going to go? Right? Yeah, exactly. How, how far is it going to go? Only only the King of Kings can bring peace here, right? And so, if, if President Trump and Vice President Pence, if, if they're consulting Christ, Yeshua, uh, on this matter of, of peace, then that's one issue. But I don't know if that's if, if, if Yeshua is really part of the whole peace plan, it doesn't sound like it because it's an economic thing. And, and how in the natural can uh, we bribe Iran with enough money to be on its best behavior or Hamas? Yeah. Uh, it yeah, and, and that's to be doomed to right. fail. So. Yeah, there are, lots, there are lots of questions. Uh, prophetically, you might point to a First Thessalonians 5 that 
says when everyone's saying peace and safety and then sudden destruction comes, meaning that there will be a time of pseudo-peace at some point. And, and obviously, right. if, if you're a Christian, you care about the best interests of the Palestinians, you, you want people to be helped, you don't want people to be oppressed and kept down, but with radical Islamic leadership, what can really happen? So we do our best. With this much we know on the ground, though, that to the extent people follow Jesus, then to that extent there can be peace and reconciliation between them. Hey, we've got a break, but thanks for weighing in and joining us today. Look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you. All right. God bless. Yeah, very interesting. I did not know that this role existed. Principal White House journalist regarding Israel and UN on behalf of Christian Media. All right. Thank you for joining us. We'll be right back with your questions, calls. We're going to dive into Scripture together. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us. Ah, we forgot the Jewish music. All right, guys, remember, Thursday, Jewish Thursday, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. Before we go to your calls and before we get into the scriptures, let me draw your attention to a headline. Uh, Nikki Haley has met with Israeli leaders to encourage them. uh, Israel should not be worried. This is World Israel News. Israel should not be worried. About what? About the proposed deal of the century, the Trump plan for the Middle East. We only know part of it. What would it mean exactly the one thing Nikki Haley wanted Israeli leaders to know is it will not compromise Israeli security in any way. Now, there is increasing pessimism among both Israelis and Palestinians about a two-state solution. That's been the Palestinian hope for decades. That's been the expectation. It's been talked about. It was advocated, say, go back to the days of President Bush advocating for it as a friend of Israel. And it seems to be that's the only thing that's going to work. But increasingly, folks have said, no, that, that's really impossible. And especially once we've seen what happened with Israel giving Gaza over to the Palestinians only to be ruled by Hamas, a terrorist group. So we've seen what's happened there. And there are even less Palestinians now advocating for that and more saying, okay, maybe a one-state solution is the thing. Uh, Carolyn Glick has an excellent book that lays out the case for this. Others have laid that out. So the idea would be it's just one state, it's just one nation, but it would create more liberties, freedoms, more equality for the Palestinian citizens, and there would be less restrictions put on them. We're not talking about the Arabs living within Israel proper that everyone recognizes as Israel, but the the Arabs living in what would be called the West Bank, Judea, Samaria. So what about them? What would happen to them? Well, just be one state, Well, the potential problem with that is if it's one state and everyone has equal rights to vote and things like that, then what happens if the Arab population grows and grows and ends up being greater than the Jewish population? 
and it ends up voting out Jewish leadership and saying we'll no longer have a Jewish state. Whereas the fundamental issue is Israel having an independent state that is a Jewish state in the Middle East, a Jewish homeland in the Middle East, a homeland for the Jewish people specifically. Yes, others can live there as well, as long as it maintains its identity. It it would be, for example, say in America, on a very mild level, say Christian nation, Christmas is celebrated, Thanksgiving is celebrated, remembering, I mean, thanks to God and and the majority of the leaders are Christian, et cetera. Well, what would happen if it became an Islamic nation, all right? And and Christmas was no longer celebrated, but Ramadan was a national month for fasting, and even if you weren't a Muslim, whatever, it's pressure. Okay, obviously you wouldn't want that shift, even though America's not deeply Christian in many ways. Okay, but Israel needs to have that Jewish majority. That was the goal from day one. There would be others living here, but we need to maintain a Jewish majority. Some have said, well, demographically, because of religious Jews and settlers, they have a higher birth rate that would keep up with Palestinians and we'd maintain a majority. Others, some Messianic Jewish leaders, proposed something where the, the Arab citizens would have absolute liberty, right, freedom, etc., but would not be able to vote. And this way, no matter what their numbers they would not be able to vote. Now, I was asked to sign up in support of that, and I said, well, I have a problem with the non-voting issue. And I was told, well, if you support just some of the larger goals, understand the thing's still being processed. I said, all right, I'll, I'll back that, but I can't back that specific thing of not having the right to vote. But then how do you maintain a Jewish majority? So I don't have the answers to this. I absolutely do not have the answers to it. Uh, yes, I understand it was just mentioned that a lot of this is economic, and many of the Palestinians, the great majority, just want to be able to, to make a good living, get a good education, to be autonomous and be able to make choices about their future and their family's future, and to have the same liberties and freedoms that Israeli citizens have. That would be the great goal of most. But as long as you have the radical element, as long as you have the, the structure within a society that does not want to recognize Israel and, and even the cultivating of terrorism in certain parts of the society, you can't have that. So the other question has been, will the national anthem still be Hatikva? Well, obviously for the Jewish people, yes, but will the Arabs be singing that? Certainly not. How does that work? So again, I don't know. But it seems that a two-state solution is simply not viable for many reasons. So what's the plan? How will it work out? Three words. I don't know. I'm hopeful that there can be improvement and positive steps forward, but I'm doubtful that there will be something permanent, long-lasting, comprehensive. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Carl in Orlando. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. All right. Hey, uh, just a kind of a big-picture question. Um, I'd love to hear a perspective on this. I hear many perspectives, um, but and it's good to go back to the foundations and understand sometimes we get caught in the weeds on, you know, why we stand with Israel and getting in, into some of the other details surrounding it. But but I just I want to hear your perspective on, on in the big picture of the Scriptures, in light of biblical prophecy, things like Jeremiah talking about J- the time of Jacob's trouble, we see... Um, a future prophetic, you know, invasion of Jerusalem. On an individual and corporate level for the body of believers, why 
do we stand with Israel? Why do we pray, intercede for Israel in light of the, the biblical story and the biblical narrative? Right. So uh, very, very simple. Uh, number one, God has called the Jewish people for a certain purpose. Satan wants to destroy the Jewish people. We recognize Satan's ongoing attempts to wipe Israel out. Therefore, we stand against Satan and with God, who has promised to preserve and keep his people and bring them back to the land. That's one thing. Second thing is that this demonstrates the work of God in the earth, regathering the Jewish people in accordance with prophecy, reestablishing them in the land, and that the Messiah will not return until the Jewish Jerusalem welcomes him back. Therefore, we stand with God's purposes for Jerusalem and the Jewish people in that regard. A third reason would be that through church history, the church has often persecuted the Jewish people, demonized Jewish people, driven Jewish people away from Jesus. And a large percentage of Jews around the world, especially more traditional Jews, think of Jesus in the most negative terms. Think of him as, as a destroyer. Think of Christianity as a destructive religion. It's imperative that we undo that by showing genuine love and concern. A fourth reason would be that Gentile Christians have been grafted into Israel's tree, have been grafted into the nourishing root and the nourishing sap. So the, the life of Israel, the prophets, the apostles, Jesus himself, the Messiah, and therefore there is a connection to the Jewish people. And when it turns to arrogance, and when Christians say, we are the new Israel, we have replaced the old, Paul says that you run in danger of cutting yourself off as well. A fifth reason would be that in terms of justice in the world, Israel is surrounded by hostile enemies, and Israel works harder than any other nation in the region to extend equality to others, and therefore, for justice' sake, we should stand with them. Now, it doesn't mean that we sanction everything that Israel does. It doesn't mean that we can't criticize Israel. True friends will rebuke, and true friends will correct, and true friends will call for change. That's understandable. But it does mean in the broad scheme of things, we recognize it's God who brought the Jewish people back to the land. It's Satan who wants to destroy them. Therefore, we stand with God against Satan, plus the other things that I mentioned. Now, as far as Jacob's trouble... The first application is to the destructive events that took place in Jeremiah's day, in Jeremiah 30, uh, specifically with regard to the Babylonians destroying Jerusalem and exiling the Jewish people. But the text indicates, if you study it carefully, that this is not something that would just happen once, but there have been times of Jacob's trouble through history. And we do see, for example, in Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14, or the Gog Magog passages in Ezekiel 38 and 39, that there will be a future attack on Israel, on Jerusalem. I believe it'll be in the midst of great world upheaval. So not just in Israel, but around the world. But even there, God has promised to deliver his people during that time. But another reason for Christians to be standing with Israel, a Christian should have been standing with the Jewish people much more frequently, much more outwardly during the Holocaust in times of, of other great pain and, and suffering. So at the end of the age, there'll be yet another opportunity for Christians to stand together with the Jewish people when they come under attack. Awesome. I love it. All right. Glad that helped. All right, Carl, God bless. Thank you for the question.
866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. By the way, Thursdays, we're often slammed with calls. Friday, always wall-to-wall calls. Today, we've got some room to take your calls. So we come back, we're going to dive into Scripture together. But if you want to help us push back against the rising tide of anti-Semitism in the church, some of the ugliest stuff, some of the craziest stuff, some of the most sweeping accusations coming from professing Christians, help us push back. On the one hand, we're pushing back against the anti-Semitism. On the other hand, we're reaching out to the Jewish people with the gospel. We're called to go places and do things that many others are not called to, but we do it with your partnership and help together. So become a Patreon partner. Go to patreon.com forward slash ask Dr. Brown. When you do that, you'll bless others, you'll be blessed, and we'll also thank you with two bonus videos every single week. All right, we'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yes, that Hebrew music tells us it is thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-34-TRUTH. You've got Jewish-related questions. We've got answers. What about the promises that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament? What are they, most fundamentally? Do they still apply today? Has the nation of Israel, the Jewish people as a whole, have we, and I speak as a Jew, have we forfeited those promises? So if I was not a believer in Jesus, just part of the nation as a whole, have we forever forfeited those promises? Or do they still apply if we repent or perhaps in God's sovereign will? Or do they now all apply to Christians? How do we sort this out? Let's take a look in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, where Paul speaks of the great sorrow in his heart. I tell the truth in Messiah. I do not lie. My conscience assuring me in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, that my sorrow was great, the anguish in my heart unending. For I would pray that, I myself were cursed, banished from Messiah for the sake of my people, my own flesh and blood. So notice Paul says, still his flesh and blood, who are Israelites. Now look at this. To them belong the adoption, namely as sons, and the glory, and the covenant, and the giving of the Torah, and the temple service, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and for them, according to the flesh, the Messiah, who is overall God, Blessed forever. Amen. So he says, present tense, that to them, the people of Israel, even those, he's speaking of the nation as a whole, who do not believe, to them belong the promises. Promises are still there. Now he explains in the verses that follow that the ones who have received the benefits of those promises now in the Messiah, that's the Israel within Israel. That's people like Paul or me or Jay Sekulo or John Burnus or hundreds of thousands of other Jewish believers in Jesus. But the promises still belong to the nation as a whole, just like the patriarchs belong to the nation as a whole. So Paul gets to the end of his discussion in Romans 9, 10, and 11. So three chapters in our Bibles as we have them today. 
as my colleague Bob Gladstone says, if you don't understand Israel, you don't understand Paul's gospel. This is a foundational importance for him. And after explaining there's an Israel within Israel, he then speaks of Israel 10 times after Romans 9, 6, every time speaking of the nation as a whole, the nation as a whole, the nation as a whole, the nation that doesn't believe. Then we get to Romans 11, beginning verse 25. And let's see what's written there. Romans 11, 25, and writing to Gentile believers. For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own eyes, that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So partial hardening has come upon Israel. What Israel? The Israel that does not believe. That's the Israel that is hardened. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So as the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, this will provoke Israel to envy. The prayers of the Gentiles will work on Israel's behalf. The fulfillment of prophecy will be sped along in this way, or as a result of this, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer shall come out of Zion. He shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Notice it's not the church, it's Jacob, the non-believing Jewish people. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now look at this. Concerning the good news, the gospel, they are hostile. Who? They, the non-believing Jews, the Israel that is hardened part, the Israel that one day will turn and be saved. Concerning the good news, they are hostile for your sake. But concerning chosenness, concerning election, they are loved on account of the fathers for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Paul wrote that. About whom? About Jewish people who do not believe. The gifts and calling are still irrevocable. What happens to a Jewish person who dies without Jesus today? They're lost like anyone else is lost. What happened to a Jewish person who died 100 years ago without Jesus? They rejected the Messiah. They're lost like anyone else is lost. There's not going to be retroactive salvation. But Paul is telling us that at the end of the age, as the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, or on the heels of the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, all Israel will be saved. The Israel that has been hardened, which is the majority of the nation, will no longer be hardened. And that's what Jeremiah speaks of. In Jeremiah 31.1, God says at that time, God will be the God of all the families of Israel. Now, some point to Joshua chapter 21, to say, no, 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 this whole idea that God promised the land to Israel and he's going to give the land back or the Jewish people living in Israel today, that's fulfillment of prophecy. No, 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 forget that. Those promises were already fulfilled. And they point to Joshua chapter 41. Let's take a look at what's written there. Joshua 41, it speaks of how God gave the land to the people of Israel and how he fulfilled his promises. So verse 41, the total of the towns of the Levites with the holdings of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, was 48 towns with their pastures. Each of these towns had its own pastures, so it was for all these towns. It, it gives all the numbering and all the, the land that was inherited. So Adonai, the Lord, gave to Israel the entire land that he had sworn to give to their fathers. They took possession and settled in it, and Adonai gave them rest on all sides, just as he had sworn to their fathers, not one man of all their enemies withstood them for Adonai. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one good thing that Adonai had promised to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. People say, you see, it's, it's already passed. God gave them the land, and, and it's already happened. It's not going to happen in the future. God gave them 
the land as promised, and that's done. That's past. You can't say there's anything future about it. Actually, of course we can. Because God didn't promise to give it to them and then take it away. He didn't promise to give it to them and then if they send, take it away forever. No, what's written in Psalm 105? Psalm 105, this is made as clear as possible. Remember, Romans 9 says that the promises still belong to the people of Israel, even the non-believing people who are not experienced the blessing of those covenant promises, they still belong to them. And Paul reiterated in Romans 11 that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Right? So Psalm 105, let's take a look at what's written there. He is Adonai, our God. His judgments are on all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations, which he made with Abraham and swore to Isaac, confirmed to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I give the land of Canaan, the portion of your inheritance. So notice, it's an everlasting covenant. It's for a thousand generations. It's a covenant forever. It's been confirmed. It's a decree. It's an oath. It's sworn. God could not have made himself any, any, any bit clearer. So number one, he promised that he would keep his Jewish people no matter what. He would discipline us in judgment, but he would preserve us and keep us. That's number one. Number two, he said that the land of Israel was our lasting inheritance. Under the Sinai covenant, if we sinned, we'd be exiled from the land. If we repented, we'd be brought back to the land. But God had given these promises, these unconditional promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before that. And Paul reiterates in Galatians 4 that the law, which came 430 years after the promise, Galatians, the third chapter, that the law, which came 430 years after the promise, cannot annul the promise. So these promises remain. And that's why God can act whenever he chooses, even when Israel is in sin, even when Israel is in unbelief, even when he uses atheists and communists to to help found the modern state of Israel and and a non-religious Jewish man like Theodore Herzl, and even when the great majority of Orthodox rabbis oppose the restoration to the land. God can do what he chooses to do because he's sovereign. You say, no, 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 no. All those promises apply to the church. No, Paul's quite emphatic about that. These promises are Israel's promises. The Gentile Christians share in Israel's spiritual benefits so that in Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, just like there's neither male nor female. In Jesus, we are exactly equal spiritually. Jewish believers, Gentile believers, we're one in the Messiah. We share the same eternal life. We share the same sonship. We share the same Holy Spirit. We share the same eternal promises. We share the same standing. There's no higher, lower, better, worse, just like male, female. Those divisions are obliterated in terms of a caste system or a class system in Yeshua. But there are specific promises God gave to Israel. Those promises remain. So I I don't get worked up when Christians deny that, when Christians say we're the new Israel and the promises are ours and God no longer works with the Jewish people as a nation or the modern state of Israel is not a fulfillment of prophecy. I don't get worked up as if that's going to stop God or as if his promises won't come to pass, but I get grieved because I've seen what that's done in church history. I've seen how that's opened the door to anti-Semitism and even church persecution of Jews. And I see today with some ridiculous statements being made by Christian leaders that just bash Israel day and night, how spiritually blinded they are. I could do shows on them all the time. It's just, it's not worth it. It's, it's so erroneous and, and so out in left field, 
But a lot of people believe it, follow it. That's what concerns me. I want us to provoke Israel to jealousy, not drive the Jewish people away from Jesus by repeating the standard old lies. I want us to I want the church to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy so that they turn to Jesus and be saved. And I also want the church to recognize what God is doing in the earth. He has brought the Jewish people back to the land as he promised. After scattering us, he's brought us back. And just like in Ezekiel 36, he did it even in our unbelief. He acted even in our sin. Why? For his name's sake. He does what he does first and foremost for his glory. And in doing so, it is for the lasting good of his people. Join with me in praying for the salvation of the Jewish people. Friends, we're on the front lines of reaching Jewish people, getting our materials out in Hebrew more and more to reach Israelis. A weekly show on Middle East TV, specifically for reaching Israelis. And bear in mind, if, if you have a TV with cable, which is the vast majority of TVs in Israel, then you get METV. And we have an outreach show specifically for reaching Jewish people. And we plan on recording more of those to get that message out even more. By God's grace, we're going for it. And we're on the front lines working with Israeli believers who are reaching ultra-Orthodox Jews with the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. So we're right in the front lines, friends. But with that, I urge you to recognize God's ongoing purposes for Israel and the Jewish people. When Israel does wrong, we speak to it. When Jewish people do wrong, we speak to it. When anti-Semitism rises, we speak to that as well. All right, we're going to come back and go straight to your calls, 866-342. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We, uh, we're going to follow this closely Fox News headline story, the Iran connection. Pompeo confirms Tehran behind explosive attacks on oil tankers in tense Gulf. General Keene suspected attack on oil tankers intended to, quote, pressure U.S. to, quote, ease off Iran sanctions. Uh, This could blow up and get very ugly very quickly. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Birmingham, Alabama. Ah, our friend Courtney, I guess you couldn't stay on. All right, let's go to Chicago. Charles, welcome to the line of fire. Yes, hi. Can you hear me, Dr. Brown? Yes, sir. Okay, first of all, it's a pleasure to meet you. Very, very much a pleasure. I uh, certainly enjoy following your teachings. I uh, specifically enjoy uh, what I've viewed with you and Dr. White. Well, thank you. And uh, certainly appreciate that. I just had an overall comment uh, regarding Romans. Uh, the letter to the Romans by Paul, which I think foundationally is very extremely, extremely important to what you're uh, talking about today. And I wanted to kind of give my overview and get your read on that. Sure. I believe that 
if we look at the history of the church in Rome, there's there's a lot of foundational importance there. Um, I think that the church in Rome went through four phases. It was established by Jewish believers. Then Gentiles in Rome converted to Christianity and joined the church. And then the Jews were kicked out of Rome. Yep. Uh, under Claudius, they were banned. Yep. And then the fourth stage were the Jews were invited back to Rome. Uh, under under Nero. And I think why that's so important, uh, and I think that, that, that Paul's urgency to write this letter to the Church of Rome, the why, was because I believe that he had a, a very, very deep concern that there was going to be a split as the gospel spread west, is what I believe. I think that the theme of the letter, if you would agree, would be right relationships between Jew and Gentile, right righteous and righteousness of God. The first eight chapters being vertical, how to have a right relationship with God. And the second eight chapters are really horizontal, the right relationship between Jew and Gentile. Um, right, so, so let me... Yeah, said, yeah go, go ahead. I, and, go ahead. And, and I'm going to read something I wrote so that I don't go into left field here and then get your comments. Yep. Because I think it's extremely important, certainly for us believers who are Gentiles and followers of Jesus Christ, to stand arm in arm with you and with our Jewish brothers. And as you suggest, to pray uh, for Israel uh, and, and pray uh, for our, our Jewish brothers and sisters to come to believe. So I think the heart of the letter and what Paul is fighting for is a church at the heart of the empire in Rome that includes Jew and Gentile, one new man or woman in Christ Jesus. There's a false ideology that, that crept into the church, and Paul, fe uh, Paul feared a split in the church, and two denominations would be formed. And the false doctrine that I think crept into the church in Rome is replacement theology the very foundation of what you were talking about, that there is a false doctrine, a false belief that crept in, where the Gentiles uh, started to spread the rumor or the false doctrine that the church had replaced uh, Judaism or had replaced yeah. the Jews. And Charles, I'm, I'm, just gonna, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to jump in for the sake of time uh, and and for the sake of other callers, first I, I appreciate how you've articulated things wonderfully, and the four phases you mentioned of the Roman Church are yes crucial to understand that. My friend Pastor David Harwood, in writing about this, has reemphasized this as well, and other scholars, of course, have. So the deal is, when Gentiles got saved originally, they were the outsiders being taken in by the Jewish believers, and everybody was Jewish. I mean. The Savior is Jewish, and the apostles are Jewish. Everybody's Jewish. And, and here, let's just look at it like that. Let's say everybody in the early church was black, and Jesus was black, and Paul was black, and John was black, and Moses and the prophets are all black. And you come in, you're white, and, and you've been on the outside all this time, but now you come in, and there's a minority of you, but hey, no, we're all one in, in Jesus. Wow, really? And, and, and yeah, all okay. So that's humbling. That's amazing. But now the blacks get expelled, as you mentioned. So in this case, the Jews, in, in truth, so in my analogy, the blacks get expelled. And now the Roman church is all white. It's like, well, we're the new guys. They're gone. 
They're, I mean, they rejected Jesus as a nation, so they're gone. They're out of here. We're the, we're the, we're the new Israel. We're the new guys in town. Now they come back. Like, whoa, how's, how's that work? How's it fit? Now, I've, I've always read Romans in terms of 1 through 12 being the doctrinal foundations, excuse me, 1 through 11 doctrinal foundations and 12 through 16 practical application. But I, I appreciate you're reading the 1 through 8 vertical and the, the eight through 9 through 16 horizontal. There's certainly a lot of truth to that. But absolutely, Paul warns against the dangers of incipient replacement theology, warning Gentile believers not to get arrogant. Okay, you were grafted in, but they were cut off because of unbelief. And if you get haughty and you come into unbelief as well, we are the new Israel. We have replaced the old Israel. God's finished with Israel. Then you too will be cut off. And as the church through the centuries gravitated to an actual hostile replacement theology, to that extent, it was cut off from the fullness of blessing and grace. So, so Charles, there, there's a ton more we could talk about here, and, and I do want to get to some other callers, but uh, amen to what you're saying in terms of historical, cultural background, the issues okay, that had I to be addressed. To, uh, yeah, and, and Rome being the place I just to wanted to make it. sure and, and get kind of a read from you on, in terms of the, uh, what, my belief in the why. You know, why was it so important for Paul to write this letter to the church in Rome? Yeah. He longed to be there. He couldn't be there. <clears throat> so he had to do the next best thing and write a letter to them. I believe that the important, important teaching points for us there is the first part of Romans is salvation work in, right? Done by God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The second part of Romans, which is so very important that he wanted to remind them to unite them, is salvation worked out? What is our life in Christ? Yeah, and, and, and again, I, I haven't read it, like I said, 1 through 8 vertical, 9 through 16 horizontal, because obviously life in Christ is, is a big subject of 6 through 8. But great observations overall. Much appreciated, and thanks for the good word. I'm sure we could talk further about this. Maybe we will in the future. Thank you for the call. Really appreciate it. 866 Three for truth. Uh, let's go quickly. Ruben in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome to the line of fire. Oh, hello, Dr. Brown. Hello. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Speak up, please. Yeah, so my question is, um, is it correct to say that Jews and Christians don't worship the same God in the same way that, you know, some Christians claim to worship God, but they have um, made for themselves a false Christ? They have a different doctrine, so they're really not Christian. So are Jews and Christians worshiping the same God? They're worshiping the same God, but not with the same understanding. In other words, when a Jew prays to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when a Jew quotes Scripture from the Psalms and prays to the God of Israel, they're praying to the same God that we're praying to, but they're not understanding who he really is and therefore they're not in right relationship with him. By rejecting the Son, they're also rejecting the Father. So, yes, they're praying to the same God, and and a a Christian could read much of the Jewish prayer book and see prayers that we would affirm and agree with. So they're praying to the same God and worshiping the same God, but not understanding the same God, not understanding his triunity, not understanding the deity of Jesus— and therefore, by rejecting Jesus, they cut themselves off from true relationship with God. Now, of course, to a Jewish person, that's 
very offensive for me to say, but obviously as a follower of Jesus, that's what I believe and understand. So uh, Muslims are praying to a different God. They're praying to a different God who's not the God of the Bible. Jews and Christians are praying to the same God, but not with the same understanding. And a Jew who rejects Jesus as Messiah is not connected to God the way a Christian would be connected to God. Hey, thank you for the question. And uh, Laurelyn, time is really short uh, in Gainesville, Florida, but if you can jump in really quickly, maybe I can answer your question quickly. Um, well, I, I didn't really have a question. I just wanted to connect with you that I'm a Christian author that has written a series that you might be interested in that's trying to reach the Jews, the Muslims, Christians, unbelievers. Um, I feel badly doing this on the ear. I didn't mean to be on the ear to do this. I just wanted to connect with you. Got it. I All right. Tell... A lot of materials in writing my book. Got it. All right. Work. All right. Well, tell you what, since we're almost out of time, here's what you do. Uh, LaShawn, just get uh, Laura Lynn's email info, all right? Or tell you what, Laura, make it really easy. Shoot a note to info, I-N-F-O, info at askdrbrown.org. Info at askdrbrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. And share with us what you wanted to and just ask that it gets to my attention. Info at askdrbrown.org. All right, thanks. And at least we met quickly on the air. Friends, we're out of time. Tomorrow, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so an hour and a half before my show, we're going to do a special YouTube Q&A chat. So that's tomorrow, 1.30 in the afternoon. That's an hour and a half before my normal show. We're going to do a YouTube exclusive chat, so you can get your questions answered there. And then, of course, we'll be taking your call as well. If 